0: From Podcast One.
1: Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Something a little different.
0: I've spent my entire career as a journalist and uh, and, and, an avid watcher of news, um, particularly when it comes to national security news. And... One of the things that's really frustrated me over the years as a watcher of news is not being able to really know how much of an expert someone is when they're put up on television and and called an expert on a particular topic.
1: That's Suzanne Kelly, a former network television intelligence correspondent who got tired of the guessing game, and instead of waiting for the TV networks to get it right, she started her own outfit called the Cypher Brief.
0: What I really wanted to do, I felt like national security was so important to get right that we had to have people, we had to be hearing from people who actually had real expertise, they've been in these jobs, they've led organizations. We needed to have people who were able to strip the politics out of it enough so that we could bring some common sense understanding of the issues and a clearer idea of what policy maybe should look like moving forward. And we needed to be able to deliver that to people on a regular basis.
1: So what exactly is the cipher brief? How does it work? What's their objective? And where can you find them? Coming up on this edition of Target USA.
0: The National Security Podcast.
1: From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. This is Target USA,
0: the National Security Podcast.
1: I'm J.J. Green. The collection of voices you're about to hear have three things in common. Jim Clapper, Director of National Intelligence. I'm Mike Hayden, retired general, United States Air
0: Force, former director of CIA and NSA.
1: Rick Letit. I'm the former deputy director of the National
0: Security Agency. John Seifer. I'm a retired CIA officer. Joseph DeTrani, former special envoy for negotiations with North Korea and director of the National Counterproliferation Center. Michael Chertoff, and I was the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security from 2005 to 2009.
1: Mark Kelton. I finished 34 years at CIA in uh, October 2015. I finished up at CIA as the director uh, of the Counterintelligence center david cohen deputy director of the central intelligence agency what they have in common specifically from our point of view is they've been guests on this program number two they're all former members of the intelligence community and the third thing is actually a person you probably have seen her on television An ambassador is killed, U.S. embassies under siege as protests spread across the Muslim world. Should U.S. intelligence have seen all of this coming? Or maybe they did have a hint that trouble was looming. Joining us now is CNN's intelligence correspondent, Suzanne Kelly. Suzanne Kelly is one of the most respected intelligence correspondents in the country.
0: Well, we know that the Syrian government has come out and said they're only going to use those weapons against foreign forces if they do. But i tell you, the concern among U.S. officials is still whether or not the Assad regime has control of all those chemical and biological weapons that are inside the country.
1: And one thing that she's well known for is source development. So, as you heard her say, she was frustrated with the fact that watching television news, specifically national security, which is what we're all about, It's sometimes impossible to tell what kind of expertise the people we're watching have. How deep is their experience? Do they know what they're talking about? And is what they're talking about relevant? Does it matter? Oftentimes, we read, see on TV, listen to on radio or on podcast people who don't necessarily know enough about a situation or an issue, a person or a place, to give it the correct or appropriate national security perspective. That's something that Suzanne Kelly wanted to fix, but didn't necessarily want to wait on newspapers, television, or any other media to do it. So she did it herself. What she did was start a publication called The Cypher Brief, and all of those voices that you heard at the top of the show are connected to her and The Cypher Brief, which is one of the most informative, incisive, and trustworthy publications anywhere. So considering our national security roots, we wanted to know more. So we invited her for a chat. First off, what is the objective behind the cipher brief? What is it?
0: It's such a great question, JJ. You know, I've spent my entire career as a journalist and uh, and, and, an avid watcher of news um, particularly when it comes to national security news and one of the things that's really frustrated me over the years as a watcher of news is not being able to really know how much of an expert someone is when they're put up on television and and called an expert on a particular topic Um, what i found is that's not always the case and we've seen that we've seen examples of that across a number of networks over just the last couple of years what i really wanted to do i felt like national security was so important to get right that we had to have people, we had to be hearing from people who actually had real expertise, they've been in these jobs, they've led organizations. We needed to have people who were able to strip the politics out of it enough so that we could bring some common sense understanding of the issues and a clearer idea of what policy maybe should look like moving forward. And we needed to be able to deliver that to people on a regular basis. So, you know, I went out to a number of the sources um, that I had worked with in my prior life as an intelligence correspondent and just kind of laid it out and said, listen, if we promise to, you know, try to stay out of politics as much as possible, if we promise to focus on these issues and bring a diverse range of opinion, they don't always agree with each other, you know, is that something you'd contribute to? And far and away, almost everyone I talked to said, absolutely, there's a need for this today, particularly in this media landscape, there's a need for this. So, we'd be happy to sign up for it. What's happened as a result is not only are we now, in my opinion, giving a better service to people who want to understand these issues, but we've created this entire community of people who now use it as a resource. So, and that's the national security influencers who make up a large part of your audience.
1: You're right. And um, the audience, speaking of which, um, you know, wants to hear, see, and Uh, read things that make sense to them and help them to put things into context. So in looking at your site, I see often, you know, there are former CIA directors or former national security advisors or, uh, you know, former um, FBI uh, types. Um, So how much of the information that you're getting from these people do you believe is actually – um shall we say still viable? I mean that's one of the key yes. issues with you know these people is after a while they're kind of cut out of the loop. So are these folks still um still still viable to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we you know we're very fortunate in that we have contributors who have actually led the CIA led the NSA, who have worked in the White House, briefed the president. But we also have contributors who have spent their entire careers undercover and who have never done anything publicly before writing for the cipher brief. Mm -hmm. When you're able to kind of combine that mixture together, the level of expertise that you get is phenomenal. And we don't have the problem of people being disconnected once they're out of government. There's a really active uh, conversation going on uh, among people who get out, and of course you know this because you've covered this for as long as I have. They talk to each other, they stay connected, they share information. You know, the downside was before you had to be in that inside circle to understand what those conversations were meaning. You know, what they were, what they were um, considering, or as they looked at what's going on around the world. The the upside now is they're sharing that information on the cipher brief, so you're all of a sudden an insider. I think it's gotten the attention of, you know, not only journalists, like you said, but former leaders of organizations who are like, wait a minute, this actually isn't as bad as we thought it would be engaging with the media. And we are able to get our messages out there. So a lot of our experts who wrote for us first are now being widely quoted, you know, in news organizations around the world. That's something I didn't really plan for. Um, but I think it's it's gone a great way in sort of helping elevate the level of the conversation that we're having around these issues.
1: And speaking of the issues, there are a heck of a lot of issues that are difficult issues to, to get your minds around. And, um, you know, you, as you mentioned, and I've said it too, you were a national security journalist and a journalist, period, before you got into this venture. You have to know the issues. Um, being in the executive running this organization, you have to have some idea of what's important to the world, and and you have to have some historical background on that. And I believe you do, just based on knowing you. But it seems as though what you're putting out there um every day seems to essentially broadcast that same message. So I wanted to ask you about a few of those issues. Which ones do you think are the most important at this point? Um, as we look at as we look at this this complex milieu that the u s. is facing when it comes to, Intelligence and and other issues?
0: Such a great question, JJ. And I think that's the one thing everybody would like answers to. You know, we put together something called our annual threat report every year. And General Hayden was kind enough to present our threat report at uh, our second annual conference about a month ago. And by and far, um, China is something that needs to stay on the radar in terms of the influence they're having over long term. Right, China might not rise to the level of day-to-day terrorism-type issues when you're trying to prioritize. Oh my gosh, where do I spend my focus and attention? Um, but I think, you know, in the long game, China is is going to be the most let significant me, concern.
1: Let me, let me let me jump in real quick to ask, and not to, to ruin your train of thought, um, but I've heard that from several several top former officials, including General Hayden himself, that. China is something we really have to get right. Why? Why is that the case?
0: You know, when we think about uh, strategy and intelligence gathering and we think about ways of gaining influence, um, positioning, um, you know, assets and things like that around the world, I I think that's a place where you really have to pay close attention. Um, You know, China, Russia, what Russia has done with the recent elections. Um, North Korea, you know, I think everyone who has followed North Korea or been party to nuclear talks involving North Korea is on pins and needles to see what's going to happen with the president's, um, you know, supposed uh, meeting with Kim Jong-un. When you talk about Iran and the spread of their influence through the Middle East, I think all of these are issues that uh, are, you know, in that top basket, if you will, um, for national security leaders.
1: And if you look at you mentioned North Korea, Russia, and Iran. And when you look at China in that basket, are any of them more urgent than others?
0: It's just such a difficult question. And I think um, you might get a different answer given the day and how quickly these events change. But I, I do think overall, you know, China is the, the one thing I consistently hear from our experts that you need to keep eye on for the long term. Um, the others, you know, I, I think um, I think it is actually General Hayden who has, you know, made this um This way of uh, sharing these stories as one goes bump in the night, you know, the other one is going to be there every night that you wake up for the rest of your life. So um, prioritizing, though, you've gotten to a really interesting point, which is understanding these threats and how nervous should we be? How scared should we be about, um, you know, China or Russia or anything else right. when you are sort of an average soccer mom, like I consider myself to be, versus whether you're a global organization that is um, investing around the world and how might that be impacted? I think, you know, every audience that comes to the cipher brief has a different reason for needing to understand uh, the implications of these issues.
1: And, you know, the implications of these issues mean that they attract the attention of every media in the world especially when you're talking about the U.S. Every single um, uh, media organization in the U.S. every day spends quite a bit of of time and effort on all of those issues. Um, And that also means for an organization like you, competition. How do you separate yourself from them? Because I don't want to see CNN when I look at the cipher brief. I don't want to see Fox When I look at the cipher brief or the New York Times, what I want to see, and I'm thinking from the perspective of the person who's a loyal reader uh, of the cipher brief, what they're going to get from you. So, how do you separate yourself from the usual suspects or talking heads that are out there that might, you know, uh, tend to repeat the same stuff?
0: Yeah, I I think that's a great question, too, JJ. You know, you're never, we're never going to be CNN or Fox, and, you know, primarily because that's not what we're setting out to be. I think they have a, a a space and a function and, and they do it well, what you're going to see with us is a, a, a depth, a layer of depth on understanding these issues and providing context on specific issues that, you know, a lot of the news networks either don't have the time or, or just don't have the appetite uh, to dive into, especially when you literally have a headline a minute rolling out, it seems like these days, you know, to take two seconds to understand, you know, um, the Afghan Taliban's lethal insurgency or, you know, whether or not um, Joe Detrani thinks that, you know, it's just wishful thinking in North Korea, or whether we can actually possibly break through to some sort of agreement that could be viable. Um, future challenges for special operations forces, you know, having an in-depth conversation with Mike Vickers about something like that. That's what you're going to get with a cipher brief. You're definitely going to not, not going to get a splashy headline and we move on. We take the time to delve into these issues and to think them through and to provide a range of expertise so that you can make your own decision about how they're going to impact you.
1: That's Suzanne Kelly, CEO and publisher of the cipher brief. And when we come back, If you want to know what's going on behind the scenes in the intelligence community, there's one section of the Cypher Brief that's just for you.
0: We have this great thing that we put out called the Dead Drop, which I love. It, It drops every Friday, and it's like this inside gossip sheet about what's really going on in the intelligence community. And the Dead Drop pulls no punches.
1: Coming up after a short break on Target USA.
0: The National Security Podcast.
1: I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.
0: The National Security Podcast.
1: Before the break, we were talking with Suzanne Kelly, who is the CEO and publisher of The Cypher Brief, about how her organization has risen to the prominent position that it has in the intelligence community and in a growing way amongst the general population. And it's also caught the eye, of major networks and newspapers and international organizations. So now, we want to know how that is impacting what they're trying to get done. Are you impacted at all by them coming after you, the other media, the larger media? Because working for an organization that's not a quote-unquote national organization, I have seen examples quite frequently um, over the years and certainly within the last few years Uh, of larger organizations essentially poaching. And a part of that is because I think the the playing field has been leveled a lot because of social media. So what's your view and uh, strategy for working against that?
0: Well, you touch on a really interesting point, JJ, which I think every news organization is struggling with right now when it comes to how to stay viable. Um, We have a really high quality product, but that doesn't come cheaply. So, you know, you're seeing organizations like the New York Times since 2015 or so really focus on a subscription model because it's the business that drives the ability to bring readers that content. We actually share a lot of the information with global networks. We probably get reached out to you know, I'd say 30, 40 times a week um, with requests to interview experts. And we usually kind of go for the mission first, like get the experts out there, get the message out there. Let's generally raise the level of conversation around national security issues. But at the same time, you know, we as a young startup have struggled with what model do we use? Advertising, you know, just is not um, a viable model for a young startup in a media platform. So we look at subscriptions. Um, We also have done what um, a lot of the Media organizations overseas and in the UK have done, which is ask readers for donations. You know, if you really believe that we're providing you quality content, would you be willing to contribute to help us keep bringing it to you? I'm a big fan of NPR. I grew up listening to it. I always donate because I do feel like I get something different when I listen to NPR that I can't get anywhere else. And I think we are now experimenting with that to say, hey, would you be willing to do that for a nonprofit? Um, If you get the same level of high quality content without us locking everything behind a paywall, my prediction is looking at the media landscape that you're going to see that a lot more moving forward, that people are going to say, hey, there's so much free news out there. Why should I pay for anything? What can you give me that's different? And when they consistently find those sources of information that they feel like have real value, they're going to donate and they're going to support those so they don't go away.
1: Mm. Speaking of um, the future and the way in which your product is perceived and used, um, what do you say to those people who might ask you about um, all of the, the fact that a lot of the people, well, all of the people, most of them uh, have intelligence community backgrounds? What, what do you say to those who question whether there's too much loyalty there?
0: You know, we um, we have this great thing that we put out called the dead drop, which I love. It, it drops every Friday and it's like this inside gossip sheet about what's really going on in the intelligence community. Um, I, I think that, you know, we try not obviously to have any um, preference toward one organization or another and the dead drop pulls no punches. I mean, you know, if there are issues or or people in the intelligence community who have made statements that have gotten a lot of attention We don't hide those. We put them out there. We report them. We address them. I think, um, you know, naturally, anytime you have an organization that reports deeply on the intelligence community, um, on the national security community, people are going to look at whether you're being fair and whether you're presenting information on both sides. We do that, but we don't really focus so much on salacious headlines as we do. What does this mean? Like anyone can tell you what happened. Not very many people can tell you what it means. And so by the very nature of what we do, we just don't, we don't ever put ourselves in positions to take sides on things.
1: Is there a particular individual that you want to listen to your, or to, 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 to follow your work? Is there a model for a person? Who are, no, who's your target? It's great.
0: I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, the business community. You know, we I think we provide a real value to the business community, the national security community, the influencers, where there are a great number of people who are still within government at the very highest levels who not only read us, but reach out and offer comment. But I honestly feel like I really built this platform for every American out there who cares about the future for their kids, who cares about whether Russia is going to have continued influence over our elections, who cares about you know all of the issues whether it's nuclear or terrorism that impact our future those are the people who i think should take the time to really understand the issues and not just only watch cnn or only watch fox but to really widen their appetite for how they understand the world those are the people i really want
1: how do you choose how you feature what you have on your site every day
0: We kind of look at what's trending, um, like a normal newsroom would do in the news that week. Um, You know, with the nomination of Gina Haspel, for example, as the next CIA director, we focused a lot of time and attention on kind of peeling the politics out of that and saying at the end of the day, you know, how how would this sort of soccer mom mentality judge um, this woman to be capable of being the next head of the CIA? We try to really question um, what matters about the stories that are trending. And then we try to bring valuable kind of context to help people understand the whole picture. Um, You know, if you just take the Special Operations Forces, which I know is a subject that you're really proud of, and we look at future challenges for them around the world. I mean, they've been deploying on cycles that are Uh, we would have at one point probably said are just untenable. We've been asking for their families to put up with so much sacrifice while they're gone. And and it doesn't look like that's going to stop anytime soon. There are some plans underway specifically to have some of the traditional military take on some of that. But when you look at what's going on in North Korea, for example, you look at what's going on in the Middle East and you look at the numbers of deployments, it's not going to change. So I think, you know, those are important opportunities to provide context and start a really rich dialogue about how we should be thinking about these things.
1: I noticed as well, looking at your site, you have it sort of broken up into regions of the world. Uh, and um, so do you have people in those regions? Do you have reporters in those places? How does that contribution work to get the news angle of what you're presenting? Because um, what you do, to me... Just looking at your site on a daily basis or regularly uh, is uh, present news, but you also have experts do analysis. So how does the news portion shake out?
0: Yeah. So no, I think that's a great question. So we have like the, our experts tab. And I know JJ, that you have worked with most of the 80 people who we have as contributors of content under that expert tab. If you look at, you know, the, the global perspective we've had since launching in 2015, more than 900 people around the world contribute, um, content and perspectives about the issues that we cover. So we're not just asking the same sort of echo chamber that we always go to in DC, you know, A lot Mm -hmm. of times you kind of get entrenched with the sources you usually go to and the knowledge of information stays within those little echo chambers. We try to really broaden it out around the world. So we've had more than 900 contributors. Some of them um, work at think tanks around the world. Some of them, um, you know, have been reporters who have contributed to us. I was very fortunate during my years at CNN to work with a number of talented people who have covered the world for that network and, you know, who have now gone on to, to work for other um, news organizations. And a lot of those really, really talented, experienced people have written for us over the past.
1: And that, I must admit, in full transparency, was where I first met you at CNN when you were there. Uh, and um, right. you have that kind of depth. And that kind of understanding, and uh, I don't believe it's possible to cover national security from an office. You have to get out there and get your feet uh, dirty and get everything dirty. You know, Definitely. go to these places where things are happening, and you've done that over time. Is there a particular place or issue that has uh, played a key role or a seminal role in your life as in your formation of a national security uh, aficionado or guru in this in this in this in this world that we're looking at now—is there something that that shaped that or uh, that impacted it?
0: Gosh, that's such a good question. You know, I oh, no, have kind Suzanne, of untraditional... that. That's,
1: that's <laughs> such four, a good question. <laughs> that's four times you've said that, so you get you only get to choose one of them.
0: <laughs> okay, no more flattery for the host. All right, that's over. Uh, no, I, I really think. Um, You know, I've taken a lot of risk in my career, and one of the first risks I took was leaving local news at a very young age to move to Europe and to decide to cover something I didn't really understand with a full willingness to learn about it. Um, Out of taking that risk came the opportunity to become a war zone correspondent, so I went down and covered the Kosovo conflict kind of on my own dime as a freelancer uh, in 1999. And I think that really shaped a lot for me, um, how the rest of the world sees things that are going on outside of U.S. borders versus how the U.S. sees it. And then I started to realize over time, oh, my gosh. And my parents who were back at home, thought very differently about what I was doing overseas because the information they were learning about it was very limited um, to what they could get on their U.S. networks. I think, you know, I- I've always been a big fan of the networks that cover the world. Um, and that do it you know 24/7. I tend to, to really appreciate the cable's dedication on that front. But I think getting out there um, and kind of understanding for myself that the rest of the world doesn't always see things the way the u.S sees them and it does have an impact probably led to you know me thinking a lot about context um, and about how context in, uh, um, really has an impact on Americans perceptions of events. And so when I crafted the Cypher brief while, well, probably not being aware that I was building it that way. I, I think that's why, I think that did probably have a really key role in why I built it the way I did.
1: One last thing I'd like to ask you, then I'll ask for some thoughts from you. I'm, I'm a little uh, leery about asking this question, but it's something that I think needs to be asked considering the reality of the world in which you, 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 you're in. You, you describe yourself as a soccer mom. You, yeah. You're clearly a woman. Uh, yeah. And you clearly understand, having worked in media, the difficulties that females have faced in yeah. non traditional roles. And I hate even saying that non traditional part, because unfortunately, you know, it was true for a very long time. Uh, and, you know, things have changed over the years and still haven't gotten to where they should be, but you're blazing a trail. And like many other women who've come before you, so, does, do you give any thought to that in, in in the process of your work every day?
0: You know, people say that to me a lot, and I think I, I, I think real I think real people who trailblaze don't think of themselves as doing that at the time. They think of themselves as being passionate and dedicated to something that they truly believe in. And I think out of that passion, um, you know, sometimes you're fortunate enough to to have people call you a trailblazer. But I don't really think that that's ever what you set out to be. Um, I was I I get asked actually kind of regularly to speak at events um, in and around Washington. And um, I get asked and I'm very um, honored to be to do this, you know, to talk to a lot of groups of women. Um, And I was recently speaking with a group of women um, who work in the IC. And uh, we were talking about kind of the mentor relationship, like, you know, the Me Too movement is out there you know, what do we what do we do about trying to break through glass ceilings? How can we reach higher levels uh, You know of management within some of these agencies and organizations? And I think the real answer for me has just been, you know, kind of imagine the mentor who you'd like to be, and you go be that person, right? You think of leadership in ways that, um, you know, you're, instead of waiting for someone to hand it down to you, think about what you'd like to change in the world. Um, or, or in your, you know, your organization and where you work. I, I do think, JJ, that You know, being female is never going to be completely on par. I mean, we're different. And, you know, for lots of reasons, those differences also enhance us. I think what we need to do is stop thinking of people as different and start thinking of people as valuable in multiple ways. And when brought together on a team, you know, you cannot beat that. I mean, that's what makes America great.
1: The only thing I have ever asked, as have many people who are much more qualified in everything in life than I am, is that we just get a seat at the table and an opportunity to tell our story. And that's what, that's, that's, that's your, you, that point is is very well taken from the work that you're doing and what you just said. Any famous last words?
0: Oh my gosh. I don't know. I I hope, I I hope I don't have last words for a long
1: time. (laughs) They don't have to be famous. (laughs) I mean, they don't have to be last words forever, but just for this show.
0: (laughs) Just for that, I would say, you know, thanks for doing what you do with having the conversations that you allow to happen on the podcast. I think not only to pick up what you just said is having a seat at the table very important, but it's having to see the table, having a voice in the conversation and then not being afraid to get out there and lead. Um, I think that's, you know, that's what I think about the most. And I guess if I had to have last words, um, it would be don't be afraid to get out there and lead.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Suzanne Kelly, CEO and publisher of The Cypher Brief and a very, very, very good journalist. I can tell you you that for sure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Coming up on our next program. In its quest to return to superpower status... Russia's become something else. But Russia is not a superpower in this way. Russia is a super problem. Linus Linkevichis, foreign minister from Lithuania, which has had its own big problems with Russia, on our next program, detailing what we need to watch out for. They are members of uh, permanent members of uh, Security Council, United Nations, a council which is supposed to stay on the guard of peace uh, system in the world, uh, but they are violating these laws themselves, undermining system and also trust uh, to the uh, legality of of, the United Nations. And he'll tell us exactly how to deal with Russia. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please, subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.
0: The National Security Podcast.
1: If you like this podcast, check out the Dennis Miller option every Wednesday at Podcast One. The snarky king of comedy is back to provide his no-holds-barred opinion on current events, politics, pop culture, and whatever else is on his mind. Check out the Dennis Miller option at Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Also, remember to rate and review. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.